Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bimi because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents. Uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome to a fresh episode of ATP Hour. And today, I'm not going to be alone on this program. I have a very important specialist who is going to be talking to us about this important topic of um, cancer in children. I know some of you wondered, really, do children have cancer? And so because it's something so important, we've decided to bring in a specialist. So let me welcome, show you my guest. I want to welcome Dr. Ololade to our broadcast. Dr. Kendi Ololade, you're welcome to ETP Live, ETP Hour. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. All right. Um, just a little bit of introduction. Dr. Kainde Lolade is a radiation oncologist. Um, <clears throat> so for those of you who may not know, these are doctors that specialize in treating cancers. And um, he did his uh, undergraduate studies at the University of Lagos and then residency also in at the Lagos University Chin Hospital before going to South Africa to do subspecialty um, training again in radiation oncology. So it's super, super specialist and is currently uh, a lecturer at the University of Lagos and also run his own practice at Jacaranda Cancer Center in Abelkuta. And, you know, uh, so we're so, so blessed to have him with us today to answer your questions because, you know, you can always ask Dr. Bimi question on cancer, but I've brought the expert today to talk to you. All right. So thank you, Dr. Lolade, for joining us. I just remind us that this program is brought to you by Axie Pediatricians Foundation. We are committed to the health and the welfare of your children. And on ATP Hour, we do talk about important topics that have to do with the health of our children. And I decided that today I will bring a special guest who will be talking to us. But if you want to watch these uh, past episodes you can always watch on our pro, uh, all our platforms on Instagram Live, on YouTube, on our Facebook page, on Access of Baby ATP Podcast. So whichever platform, or for those of you listening on the radio, uh, Fresh Waves Radio. So thank you so much also for joining us today. And if you have any questions, remember you can post on our Facebook groups and our professionals will be there to answer your questions. So, but I already know the kind of question you would like to ask the specialist today, so I will start asking him. And at the end of the day, if you still have any more questions, don't forget to send it to us and we'll pass it across to him and then get back to you as well. So thank you, Dr. Lolade, for joining us today. We're going to be talking about childhood cancers. The first thing I want to ask you, is it possible, do, do children have cancer? Is this something that happened in children or is it just adult issue. What do you want to tell us about that? Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, cancers are no respect of ages. Um, cancers could occur in the children as little as um, six months to a year to um, those that are toddlers. It can also be seen among um, school children, even up to the age of teenagers and all that. So, I mean, there are various kinds of cancers that are very common in children, particularly the kinds of blood, blood, blood cancers, the others that have to do with the eye, like retinoblastoma, the others that have to do with um, the kidney, the limbs tumor, and nephroblastoma. And also, there are also others that we call the neuroblastoma that could happen from the adrenal glands and all that. 
So you know, so um, cancers do occur in children. It could um, it's it, it they, they actually belong to a family called the round blue cell tumors, which are very common among uh, children. So you know, so those ones are pretty common among children. So you know, so we have uh, most cancers among children. Um, the common cancers in the adults, like the um, breast, um, prostate, and the cervical, do not occur in children because um, those are organs of the body that actually grow or mature following uh, puberty. When a child um, goes into secondary, um, um, hormones are secreted to facilitate such growth. But at the level of um, the child, where the child is actually just growing, some rapidly growing tumors could refuse to obey the instructions from the body. And whenever those cells refuse to obey the instructions from the body to limit their growth, for example, a cell from in, the, in, the, in the kidneys that is supposed to grow only 200 times and refuses to stop when it gets to 200 and continues to grow up to the five level of 10,000 times. We'll say that kind of cell has undergone what we call the malignant transformation. Also, one other factor in the feature is that when you see that those cells, for example, if they're supposed to be only be limited to the organ of um, the kidney, then they spread from there and they go from there to other organs like to the, to the lungs, to the bones, to other parts of the body, what we call spread or metastasis. In that case, then you know that a cancerous process has taken place. Another thing you will see is that um, normally when cells grow, they don't invade or they don't attack organs that are attached, that are closely um, linked or limited to them. But in cancer cases, you'll see that they invade adjoining organs. So when you see those such cells, for example, if you have a neuroblastoma, it could invade the surrounding vessels, it could invade the surrounding organs, it could invade the skin, it could invade the, the GI system. Such also invasion is another characteristic of um, the cancer cells. Another thing is that because they refuse to follow the normal trend of their breakdown and their growth, they undergo what we call the rapid division. Because of that rapid division, their cells and the cell walls become very, very friable. When it becomes very friable, then what we realize is that they are easily prone to bleeding from those organs. And they could have, for example, if it's a nephroblastoma, they could be bleeding into the urethra such that the, um, the, uh, the child will be seeing blood within the urine. So a few things like that could help us um, understand that um, it could also happen in children. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Olade. I know you really went ahead and explained more to us. So I think what our specialists have told us now is that cancers can happen in children, but it's maybe different kind of cancers to what we normally see in adults, but children also have cancers. And Dr. Lolly has also told us all the things that you will see that will help us to, to know that this is just uh, not ordinary growth, but cancer. Now, you were mentioning quite a lot of some names, and, and I know they were sounding so big. Uh, I just wanted to help us break it down. So can you tell us when you say these names, what part of the body is this cancer occurring? So you mentioned uh, neuroblastoma, nephroblastoma, blood cancer. Can you just help us, uh, just tell us the name of the cancer and which part of the body so that parents know uh, these various kind of cancers that happen in children and the parts of the body that tends to be affected. Thank you. So when we have things like uh, um, meningioma, that affects the brain and the brain organ. When we have things like nephroblastoma, that affects the kidneys. When you hear things like retinoblastoma, it comes from the retina. Normally, when cancers occur in children, they use blastoma to demonstrate 
or to, to, to color the organ. So we have retinol. Retinol is from the retina of the eye. And we have blasts, which is the cancer um, process going on. So we call it retinoblastoma. Whereas in um, um, neuroblastoma is when they originate from the adrenal gland in the children. So, you know, when you have uh, like um, leukemias and all that, those are from cancers that occur within the blood cell lines. So essentially, those are the, you know, those are the very common ones that we'll see in children. Okay, thank you, sir. And I want to now ask, uh, what are those things that parents, you know, we as pediatricians, we always want parents to pick up things early and we want them to come to us. So what are the symptoms, common symptoms that parents will see in their children that will make them suspect, you know, that this child may have cancer and so that they will now know when to come to seek for help. Can you tell us things that parents should be watching out for? Thank you. Yes. One of the things is that if you have a child and you notice that um, when you look at the child, there's something that looks like the eye of the cat, cat eye reflex, then you, are, you, are, you can suspect that the child needs to be assessed for retinoblastoma. When the child is being cared for, particularly when they're taking birth for the child, it's always very important for the parent to be aware of the unique features of the child. Does the child have a big tummy? Is the tummy increasing in size? Do you notice that one side of the tummy is just big? Is there anything like hard, like stone in the tummy? Do you notice that are there signs of like a vein on the tummy that shows that the, the tummy is under pressure? I mean, that's also a sign that something, there's a lesion or there's a tumor within um, the tummy. Also, if you notice that the child suddenly is having fever that is continuous, has been treated for infection, has been treated for malaria, and the fever is continuous. Coupled with the fever, and the child is having passage of blood in the urine, then you should be mindful and the child might need further evaluation. If you notice that for one reason or the other, the child is having bruises, and the bruises, there's a lot of, I mean, maybe the child went to play football and um, hit the leg against something, and the place gets swollen and when they do a tap of it they realize that it's blood that is it in uh, hematrosis then the child is at risk of things like osteo um osteo sarcomas and all that so you know so we'll if you if you are able to demonstrate that also if for one reason or the other you notice that the child is coughing and the cough there's blood in the cough then or the child is having um what we call um, difficulty with coughing, uh, with breathing, or respiratory embarrassment, as it's called in medical terms, then that child needs further evaluation. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Lolade. So what I can get from that is that some of the signs that we see in cancers could also be the same signs we see for other common conditions. But like you said, like if a fever is going on for too long and the child is having infection, because we do get a lot of these questions on ATP and mother will say we've treated malaria. My child is always having fever, fever every month. And the child is always having, you know, this. And some people say my baby's tummy is so big and they want us to tell them what to do. So what the doctors are saying is the cancer signs also may be similar to some of those signs. And this is why we to emphasize the need for us to go to the hospital and not always assume everything is malaria, especially if you are treating your malaria every week, every month. You may need uh, to make sure that the doctors also see our children so that we're sure. Okay, so if we um, if we see the signs that are taking so long and they seem not to be going away, what should parents do in terms of how do we go about getting our children diagnosed of cancers and then later we can talk about the treatment but let's focus talk about how do we get the children to how do we know that these children have cancer after suspecting the symptoms and we've gone to the hospital what do you do as the oncologist to arrive at the diagnosis thank you well in order to um 
make um, a conclusion that a child has cancer. Cancer diagnosis is not a child's play. It's a major diagnosis. Because it's a major diagnosis, it's a life-changing diagnosis that um, affects not just the patient, affects the caregiver, affects the parents and all that. In order for us to make up that kind of decision, we have a few set of the, the groups or categories of investigations that will be done. There's the tissue investigation. There is the um, hematological investigation or the blood investigations. And there's what we call the radiologic investigation. Now, the first thing we will do is I want to check the blood. Are there other things in the blood? There's some things we call the tumor markers, which will be elevated if a child is having things that have to that have to do with the um, um, that has to do with the cancer that 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 of tumors. And also, we notice that when we check um, those blood, the blood, we realize that the child is not having malaria. The child will not be having any form of infection. But we will notice that persistently the child's um, um, blood is getting low, getting low, there will be a lot of pallor in it. Also, if the disease or the cancer affects um, the kidneys, then we'll observe that the child will not, will have a deranged or a, an abnormal renal or what we call the kidney function test. The child may have elevated creatinine, may have elevated, um, there's some, Electrolytes, or there's some materials that are in the in the nucleus of the cells. When they break down rapidly because of fast multiplication, they release some of those things into the blood. So when we do those tests, when we do the liver function test, when we do the electrolyte and urea, we will see some of those um, urea, particularly things like uric acid, they will be elevated within the blood system. Also, apart from that, when we also check for the, um, we'll check what we would have checked um, for infections. Then we'll, from the hematological test, which is a blood test, we'll now do what we call the radiology test. It starts from things as simple as an ultrasound scan. Ultrasound scan will give us an idea of the size, will give us an idea of the involved tissues, will give us an idea of what and what can be done to, um, um, to the different areas, to tell us whether the thing is just local or the thing has gone and is at risk of being invasive. We can have that um, ultrasound scan done that will tell us of the size. And we can also have the CT scan of the chest or CT scan of the abdomen done. Those ones are called staging or staging um, um, image uh, radiologic examination. That will tell us the extent of involvement. It will tell us, has it involved the liver? Has it involved the lungs? Is it restricted only to the kidneys in nephroblastoma? Does it have any other part of the body? Has it involved the bones? Has it involved the brain? It will tell us. And with that, we'll be able to use that to um, manage the expectations of the patient, manage the expectations of the caregiver, plan our treatment protocol, and also know that whether we're just going to go in and do a surgery to get um, the lesion removed, or whether we're going to have um, other um, other uh, other treatments that are going to be systemic that will do not just involve only the primary side of the disease, but will also involve other parts of the body. So after that has been done, then we now once we are able to characterize that if it's early, then we will need what we call a tissue diagnosis. In some cases, they will do the surgery, then they will send the tissue for to the histology lab to show whether it is uh, a malignant or it is benign, or it is whether it's cancer or not. Whereas in other climbs or in other situations where it's in a, uh, it's, um, in a very, um, it's a very large and it has spread to other parts to confirm, we just take a little tissue and send to the lab just to confirm the diagnosis that is involved. Also, there's some people that unfortunately, they have lesions in areas that are not readily accessible to surgery. So we use only things like CT and MRI to make their diagnosis, like the pineal, uh, pineal gland uh, tumors. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Lolade. Um, So from what you're saying, I you've already told us that, so cancer can be, there can be different kind of severity of the cancer. 
So you are saying that some could be early. So can you expand more on that? Just to yes. So um, normally, one of the one of the benefits of um, being very um, close and aware of the body of the child is that it will help you to quickly notice if there are changes in the way of uh, in the build of the body of the child. If there are changes in uh, the organs, you will notice. If there, are, if there are changes in the features in the eye, you will notice. Now, most lesions, they start from stage zero, stage one, two, three, and four. Stage one and two, most of the time, they're early and they're amenable to either complete excision, surgeries, and all that. But once they get to stage three, involve sensitive organs, stage four, where they're spread to more organs than one, then in that case, I mean, then you know that all you can do is to give systemic therapy and to manage the limited expectations of the patient. So for early cases, they are, they are likely to have complete treatment, complete recovery, complete back to normal lifestyle. Whereas for those that are late, they have very poor and uh, very limited chances at survival. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. So which brings me to the next question of, um, is cancer curable? Because I think that's what question that parents want to ask us as pediatrician after we've confirmed that this child actually have cancer. Is there hope or is it always like an hopeless situation? What would you say when it comes to, let's focus now on childhood cancer specifically. Did you get the question, sir? Yes. Did you get the question? So is cancer curable? Is there hope or is it an hopeless situation? Okay, I think I'm having some breakdown with uh, technology with my guest on the show. Uh, but just to let us know, Dr. Lolade is a radiation oncologist and he has been talking to us about cancers in children. And he has told us that cancers can occur in children and it is not just an adult uh, issue. Children can have cancers and most of the childhood cancer sense when with the word uh, blast. Tumor. and then uh, yes yeah, so those uh, these cancers can involve different parts of the body and now he also told us that about how the uh, the specialists do make a diagnosis of cancer in children, including doing blood tests, including doing uh, radiology tests like scans or CT scan or MRI and all that, and including doing things like um, uh, um, uh, all that what we call tissue diagnosis, like taking a little bit of the part of the body affected, and then they can now uh, uh, decide what is actually going on. And just before we had this little break, it's about talking about the different types of cancers and that the cancers in terms of the severity, if you pick it up in the early stage, zero, one, two, uh, that is early, and those are usually easier to treat. And then when we pick it up late, that is stage three to four, those are the more severe kind of cancers and those ones are much more difficult um, to trace. So I was hoping uh, for Dr. Lali to tell us about um, is cancer curable. So I hope you'll be able to see join uh, the rest of the broadcast and, and answer those questions that you may have. But one thing that our doctor has really emphasized for us today, especially as parents, is that some of the signs of cancers are also the kind of signs we see for common condition. The fever, the child looking pale, the child losing weight, or the child's, or, you know, maybe some parts of the organ, uh, you know, maybe the abdomen getting swollen, you know. So let's not always assume everything is malaria or infection, and which is why we emphasize that if a child has these symptoms and you you know you've done your own usual maybe you give them prestemol or you even go ahead and give them anti-malaria and they're not getting better we really need to um we we really need to um make sure that we 
give them, you know, we take them to the hospital and that way the children can get the right um, uh, treatments, okay? So that is how uh, uh, cancers are usually uh, diagnosed. This is when we see that this condition has been going on for too long and, you know, then doctors want to do investigation. This is why it's so important that we take children to the hospital. When we take children to the hospital, doctors can do appropriate investigations and it is not all the time that it's only food block and malaria parasite we're looking for sometimes we're doing investigations and looking for something that is not as um, serious okay dr lolly you're back thank you so much <laughs> i think we have some technology breakdown all right so i was going to ask you uh where you were where i was just summarizing what you've said so far so I was asking you, is cancer curable? Is it, is it, or is it like an hopeless end, you know, death sentence? What will you say to our parents about well, that? Well, you know, the, that, that, that answer is dependent on the stage. Whenever mm. the first stage is in cancer, one of the stages, the last stage, stage four, is uh, where the hope is very, it's going to be dim. But, you know, is uh, uh, cancer management and cancer prognosis and cancer outcomes. Is, a, is dependent on a trajectory from a best case scenario when you stage one, stage two, and um, to a worst case scenario when you have a stage three, stage four. And then um, people, body systems are also different. And the, uh, the caliber and the quality of um, treatment they're exposed to will also go a long way to demonstrate the possible outcomes that they are going to have. Majority of those that are treated by um, um, qualified um, colleagues that, and they present quite early, they do very well. However, a lot of people that, are, that, that, that spend the period where they initially make the diagnosis, going from one herbal home to another, um, going from one spiritual or religious house to another, and not actually um, using that to complement the, the, the treatment that's, that's offered them, will be at the mercy of uh, the extent of um, capability of the system. It's just a matter of time for their system, the immunity of the system, the blood, the effects and all that get overwhelming and they succumb to the disease. So in order not to um, follow that trajectory of um, it being a death sentence, we always encourage our people that when you notice something, they should say something to their husbands, to their wife, and also, to their parents and also ensure that they seek for help within the right quarters. Um, some, I mean, you understand, there, 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 there are so many areas, so many support groups, so many individuals like uh, the Ask the Pediatrician Foundation, who's doing a wonderful job ensuring that as much as possible, people from remote areas in the world where they don't even have access to treatment, but they have access to their phones and get on their phones. Um, ask questions, set up meetings, show images of what they see in their children, and then if they need be, um, get appropriate advice and um, treatment in that regard. Okay, thank you. So the emphasis is early detection. So what we're saying is that if we pick up these things early, if we notice the signs and we go to the hospital early and our doctors are able to make the right diagnosis early, it can be cured, but if we come late or we have wasted too much time, then that is actually more difficult. All right, thank you. So, how do how do you treat cancer? I mean, what is the treatment available for cancers in children? Do you want to? Well, um, yes. Thank you very much. Um, there, there, there are three major um, treatment patterns for cancers in children. The very first one is to get the tumor out. If you present early, there, there's a high chance that surgery will be your first bet. Now, surgery means the tumor is malignant. We want to get rid of the tumor by removing it in the theater. The second one is the use of chemotherapy, where we inject some drugs that are tailored to the weight, to the age, and to the size of the patient via the body surface area to get rid of the tumor. Also, in certain cases, we make use of ionizing radiation by exposing that area that is involved 
to radiotherapy, um, to the radiotherapy machine such that it treats the disease and prevents it from recurring. If it has to do with um, blood um, cancers, for example, there are things like uh, um, transplanting of the bone, bone marrow transplants and things like that. So essentially, I mean, the treatment sits on the pillars of surgery, removal of the disease, of chemo in giving injections that are tailored um, towards the age, the weight, and the size of the patient, and also um, radiotherapy, the use of ionized radiation via the radiotherapy machine linear accelerator presently, I mean, where um, it, it involves the, uh, the use of the uh, ionized radiation following the mapping of the disease to one particular area of the body and sparing other organs that are clean and um, not involved in the disease. And also the use of uh, other transplantings like uh, the bone marrow transplant. All right. Thank you, sir. So I want to ask, so is there any hospital that it, we can just walk into for this kind of treatment or are there specialized centers when it comes to cancers in children? Well, when it comes to cancers in children, one of the things that um, the, 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 if you present to your general practitioner or the medical officer at um, or the nearby primary health care center, they most often than not, they will direct you to the secondary care level. When the secondary care level has been able to do the much they can do, probably surgery, and then they will now refer you to an area where they are, they are, they are, all they do is cancers. And um, the rationale is very simple. You know, what an individual does, the kind of treatment it does regularly is likely to be very proficient in doing it, other than that being done by another another individual that does so many things. You know, there's this English saying that says, jack of all trade, master of none. But when you get to come in contact with um, um, someone that does only cancer care, they, they know the side effects they're likely to encounter, they know the, uh, the, the caliber of patients. They know the patients that are likely to respond very well and those that are not likely to respond very well to the treatment. They know the things that are supposed to be done to ensure that as much as possible, the side effects are well managed. The, the way um, chemotherapy, for example, we fluster a general practitioner is like uh, the, 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 the gun in the, in the hand of a, of a marine that knows how to be pointed at it, unlike the gun in the hand of someone that, uh, that is an amateur and doesn't know about the use. So, so we always encourage people that they go to the health center. The health center will tell them where they are likely to have the appropriate um, um, individual that will make the care and the treatment. Thank you. All right, thank you. So how, how um cheap or how expensive is cancer treatment? Do we need to sell our house or sell our proverbial kidney to treat cancer in children? Or what would you say to that? Because I think that's one question most parents want to ask. Well, um, environments are different. What we are advocating for is a situation where people are involved in health insurance and the health insurance takes care of any unforeseen circumstances. Because the truth is that cancer care is not cheap. And it's not cheap in Nigeria. It's not cheap anywhere in the world. I mean, I was in a meeting today, and um, in that meeting, one of the things that came up was that Nigeria was in the location with the cheapest of where the uh, company sells the cheapest um, of their drugs. Whereas the drug was around 900 here, it was about 3,000 in Europe and about 6,000 in the United Kingdom, and even a little bit more in the United States of America. So all over the world, cancer care is not cheap. Therapy, for example, in the US is for $5,000, whereas in Nigeria is about 1.5 million. So, you know, but we advocate that people that present early, the, the, the good thing about presenting early is that the cost of cancer care increases as the stage of the cancer increases. So those that present early, that have to only do surgery and probably chemo, they're not like those that have to do chemo, radio, they're now pain, and they're now taking blood transfusion every now and then, they're now in and out of hospital, in every hospital visit, they will have to pay for admission. 
they pay for professional fees, nursing care. They, they, are, they are not going back and forth. And they can also continue their life, continue their schooling, continue their playing, continue their games and all that when they present early. But those that present late, they, they present in a moribund, some of them present in a moribund situation, such that we can only manage them ahead of the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Again, the emphasis on early presentation. Early presentation, the child is likely going to get treatment and be free from cancer. And the child is also likely going to get treatment that is not as expensive, like if we come in late. And, and also quality of life is much better. Um, so in terms of... Um, I know some parents would like to know, are there like NGOs? I know we don't do that in ATP. We don't sponsor cancer treatment like Dr. Olade said. Cancer treatment is so expensive anywhere in the world. But I don't know whether, Dr. Olade, you have uh, organizations that are non-profits that parents can go to. Like we have for cardiac, you know, we have canvas work or heart foundation they support heart uh, surgical repair for congenital disease i don't know is there anything like that for cancers maybe yes there's the doctors foundation the okay. doctors children cancer foundation um oh. then there's also um there's also another one in um uch okay. um dr sarimi so they have um they have there's there are two that I know very yes. well. And I know there's I one in Lowe's. Yeah, I know there's one in Lowe's. The Tom will be does um uh, and then there's also the one for the Tom will be. Then there's the one from there's the one from the Tom will be. There's the one from Dr. Sarbia UCH. There's one from Dr. Joseph also in Lowe's. So you okay. know, so there are a few of them here and there. You understand? I mean, the yeah. approach is just to search for it, and mm. um, they could um, definitely That's find. Yeah. Um, um, children and um, cancer support groups and all that. Yeah. All right. So maybe after the program, we'll try and put up a list of some of these foundations. So for those of us who think I would love my child to be treated, but I don't have the money, just for you to know that there are a few uh, uh, non-profit organizations that will be able to support us. Okay. So today we're just going to end this program by using a typical, a common example of child cancer we're going to talk about what we call nephroblastoma uh, so we use this nephroblastoma as a case sample of how cancer uh, can present in children and and from diagnosis to treatment so let's start by asking the lady what is nephroblastoma um can you tell us what so nephroblastoma is a tumor that occurs in children's in the kidney of the child yeah. So is it usually one kidney or both kidneys? Or normally it's one kidney, but some people, unfortunately, the two kidneys will be involved. And another name for um, nephroblastoma is Wilms tumor. So when they say Wilms tumor, they're referring to the same thing. When they say nephroblastoma, they're referring to the same thing. Okay, Wilms tumor. So it's one of the most common uh, of those childhood. It's the commonest of the abdominal tumors. And um, it's common as among the, uh, the abdominal tumors, and um, you know. Yeah. Okay. So how do how do parents pick up that my child may be having nephroblastoma or Wilms tumor? What are the early signs that we will say? Well, unfortunately, because the kidney is a retroperitoneal organ, the early sign, the commonest sign, which is about eighty percent cases, it's um, asymptomatic. That means that it's not going to show any sign. By the time it's showing a sign, most often than not, it's often advanced. However, for caregivers that are very diligent and dutiful, mm -hmm. they will notice that the child has a swelling in one part of the abdomen while giving care. And the child will not have any pain, but there will be painless swelling. So, you know, so those are the early signs. That is something going on in this tummy. This tummy is not as it used to um, be. Some other cases, who have a um, passage of urine that is bloody. Some Muslim people will have continuous fever. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so please, parents, when we see our baby's tummy being bigger than normal, 
don't just say oh, it is because he's eating too much. And some of you do show us pictures of this big tummy in two year olds, in three year olds, and you just think, you know, I always tell you, you have to take the children to the hospital because the only way we will know what is swallowing that tummy, sometimes it is just gas, yes, thank God, but sometimes it could be wimps tumor, it could be something. Uh, the kidney that is getting bigger and the child is otherwise you know initially well so please when the child's tummy is big let's not assume it is just food or gas let's take them only doctor touching the tummy and we can know which of the multiple organs in that tummy is swollen so which age group tends to have this uh wimps tumor dr lalade which age it's group? Wrong between the age of two and uh between the age of two and five, some would say between two and seven, but the oh. commonest age is three and a half years, around mm. three, between three and four years in the middle, just three and a half years. Three and a half years, okay, yeah. So please, your children between two and five, two and seven, stomach swollen or blood in their urine, please, they have to go to the hospital and let the doctor examine them. So, and, and in terms of the the diagnosis how do doctors confirm wimps tumor in in this age group after the parents have come to the hospital normally when the child comes is presented by the parents at the hospital they do a scan because the scan indicates that um, there's a tumor going on in the kidney the immediate thing for the doctor request is for a surgery to be done is the outcome of the surgery the tumor that the the, the kidney and the lesion that is re removed that will be taken to the lab. In the lab, it will be divided into pieces, put under the microscope. The microscope will look at it and tell us, is it cancer? Is it not cancer? Mm, okay. So, but the scan um, would have told us that there's an abnormal growth going on. Because the way the normal kidney will look under the scan is different from the way the abnormal kidney will look under the scan. Exactly. And I think maybe this is one of those a condition that we can benefit from our parents doing all these unnecessary scans. I always discourage parents from just going to do scans for every little, little things. But the good thing with Wim's tumor is that it is very easy to diagnose. Just an ordinary scan, we will see that this kidney is bigger or it's growing abnormally. And then we can, you know, it is a very easy condition to diagnose. And like Dr. Lala said, we can now uh, take um get a part of it to look under the microscope to confirm it and in terms of treatment how is wimps tumor treated after we've confirmed that definitely something is wrong in the well country? most of the people that present early the surgery is good enough however yes. some when they present in the middle of the stages then they have to have chemotherapy and some will have to have radiotherapy to the bed where the tumor was removed mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think what I love about Wim's tumor is that it's one of those common tumors that you can actually cure the child, but the emphasis is on early presentation. So we can actually remove the entire kidney and yes. hopefully the child will be fine. Absolutely. I know some of you will worry that after removing the kidney, how will the child survive? So removing the kidney, what will happen to the child? Well, every individual can survive on one kidney. So, and the, the, the maker of man has been gracious to us to give us two. So when one is affected, I mean, we, uh, is sacrificed and the other one suffices. Even in cases where there is involvement of the two, we realize that the, the, the diseases do not involve the two kidneys at the same rate. So we can sacrifice the one that is worse and do more or less like a partial um, surgery or partial cut of the one that is... Uh, less involved mm. yeah so that so luckily for us we cannot survive on one kidney well please that means that that one left kidney is a precious kidney that has to be protected and this is why we warn against giving all these unnecessary drugs unnecessary upper concussion you never know which child is going to have wimps tumor and we need to take out one kidney so if we have damaged the other one again then that is almost uh, <laughs> incompatible with life so please our children's kidneys are very precious and that's why we on etp wants you 
against uh, unnecessary about drugs and all that. So in terms of, I know the doctors talk about what we call prognosis or rates of survival. So what would you say is the rate of a survival of a child who has Wim's tumor following treatment? Well, following treatment, the outcome is still dependent on the stage of presentation. So those that present early, we do another 10, 15, 20 years, no stress. But those that present in late stage four, they'll be in and out of hospital. They will be having challenges uh, with the post-treatment. They'll be moving from, I went are treating pain today, tomorrow they're treating low blood level. The next day they're treating cough. You know, the immunity will drop. They'll be treating infection. So many things will um, be an interplay. But those that present early, once they do their surgery, they will do well. All right. Thank you. So, Dr. Lenny, uh, as we begin to round up, what is there? Is cancer really preventable? Is this something we can prevent? I mean, because that's one question we always like to talk about on ATP prevention. Almost every condition we talk about, we always want to talk about prevention. So, is cancer one of those conditions that, 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 are, that is preventable in children? Well, the, the, the prevention of cancer is um, a bit challenging. However, a limitation of exposure, particularly when a child is in utero. I mean, the limitation of exposure to toxins, to excess alcohol, to cigarettes by the um, nursing mother will limit the chances of what we call field cancerization and um, carcinogenesis taking place. So, and also in, in patients who are not exposed to those toxins and those alcohol and those smoking and cigarettes, the child are likely to have a better immunity, immunity and fighting the carcinogens than a child that is born of a mother that is exposed to um, alcohol, cigarettes, and um, other toxins and herbs. Hmm. So you are saying the prevention of cancer actually starts from pregnancy when the mother is pregnant? Yes. All right. So after the baby has been born, is there any other thing else we can do or we just... Uh, after the, after the baby has been born, the, the key to survival is early detection. Okay. Because by that time, most of the genes, there, there, there are about two genes that are, uh, that are indicated in uh, nephroblastoma, um, I think 1P and 6P or something. And those yeah. genes would have mutated by the time the child is born. So but for, if, you, if you are observant and you pick it early, I mean, then the child is highly likely to do better. Okay, so you just brought in a dimension. So, are you saying the cancer is genetic? Like, there's some genetic absolutely, there's a genetic strain in um, nephroblastoma, there's a genetic strain in nephroblastoma, and in most of the childhood cancers as well. So, you realize that some of them, their families, they have um, a history of um, childhood cancers in the family, or whether there's a risk of um, their parents who have been exposed to diethylstibesterol. And all that. So, you know, so uh, some of them, there's a history, or you know, some of them are from Ashkenazi Jews. I mean, the people that marry within their family and all that. So they are prone to having more gene deletions and um, gene mutations and all that. Okay. So there's actually some genetic predisposition to cancer, and it's can actually run in some families, which is that is also good for us to know. Obviously, obviously some happen. Like they start with that particular child, not that it has happened before, but it's also Those are the sporadic ones. Sporadic ones, yes. Okay. And so um we've been talking today. I'm happy to have with me a specialist radiation oncologist, Dr. Kendi Lolade. He has talked to us about childhood cancers and how to the signs and the symptoms of how they can present and how they make the diagnosis and how they treat it. And we have used a very common example of Wim's tumor, which is the most common childhood, uh, what we call solid tumor or abdominal tumor, and how it is being treated. So, uh, Dr. Lolly, if you have your final message, what do you want to say to our parents, our listeners, when it comes to cancers in children? What are your key take-home messages for parents? Can you just share with us? Thank moment? you very much. Uh, for our parents, I just want to encourage them to please be observant of the children. And then um, also from in, in pregnancy, they should be mindful of what they expose themselves to, 
whether the pregnancy is wanted or is not wanted, they should be very, very mindful because the, the outcome and the pains that come with the cancer diagnosis could be very challenging. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Lalide. And thank you for those of you who have listened to us today. Uh, if you have any questions on this topic of childhood cancer, uh, please head over to Ask the Pediatrician's Facebook group. You can post your questions there. And I'm sure Dr. Lalide is a member of Ask the Pediatrician Foundation. We will ensure that when he has the time, he will respond to your questions. And if you have somebody, a child who currently is going through uh, this condition, childhood cancer, please don't hide them at home. Take them to the hospital. If it is financial issue, we've mentioned the name of some of these uh, non-profit organizations that can support the child. So if you let us know, we can also uh, give you the link and the uh, contact it so that you can get this right support. But more importantly, we just need to make sure we are very observant. And I think for me, that's the message our specialists have told us. Let's be observant and let's not take everything as malaria. Fever going for one month, uh, child stomach swelling up, all those child is looking pale. You don't know. They are not losing blood from anywhere, but they're just looking pale. When we start seeing these symptoms, please and please let's go to the hospital and when i say hospital please go to government hospital preferably and uh, not a place where they just keep treating us for malaria and typhoid let's go to hospital where they do tests so that they can figure out what are the other possible causes of these symptoms and then they can because sometimes that is how we're going to pick up a child that has cancer so my final uh job today is to thank my brother and our specialist dr kenya holiday thank you so much i know you're very very busy very very busy for seeing politically and elsewise so for you to give us one hour of your time today to do this uh, uh program we really want to say thank you and we hope that when next we call on you you will respond to us thank you thank you very much all right. So till next time, when we come again with another important topic, it may be me, it may be myself with another guest. I want to say, keep on um, listening to ATP Hour, keep on in, engaging with our professionals and keep keeping our children safe and have a wonderful evening. Thank you. And it is bye from us from the studio. Bye. Pediatricians with Dr. Gbemi because it's informative, educative, and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents. Are you a mother, father, or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Gbemi because it's informative, educative, and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents. <laughs>